Hi, this is Jeff Blair. You're watching and listening to Red, White, and Blue Jays, the authoritative Blue Jays podcast across the pond. Swing and a drive. Welcome to Red, White, and Blue Jays, the podcast home of Blue Jays Fans UK, a group connecting Blue Jays fans around the UK and beyond and telling their stories. And now, here's the host of Red, White, and Blue Jays, Steve Hunter. Hi, guys. Welcome to another edition of Red, White, and Blue Jays. And there are times in life when you think and dream about doing certain things. And I've thought and dreamt about doing this pod episode for a long time. Man, it's all downhill from here. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you that right now. And that was with Kevin Barker, but unfortunately, Jeff had to turn up as well. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> well all. done. Well played. Well played. <laughs> no, I've, I've thought about this for a long time. And I know Jeff and I have gone back and forth a little bit in terms of just trying to find a time and sorting out with, with Kevin and Hazel's movements and all that sort of stuff. And here we are. We finally got it down. And I'm just super thrilled that both of you have been able to bring Blair and Barker on tour to the UK. Uh, Fantastic to have you both. Uh, Welcome to our little world. Uh, And hopefully we'll get to know a little bit about you as much as we'll talk about the Jays and and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Probably that's probably a good place to start is how did how did this happen for you two? I, I know, Jeff, you've been doing, you know, baseball on on Fan 590 for a long time. But in terms of your connection, the two of you, how, how did that all happen and get dreamed up? I mean, we, uh, I, I, I guess, I mean, Kevin, you could probably speak to this as, as much as I could. Um, you know, they, 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 they'd had, they, it wasn't really a revolving door of, of, of co-hosts and hosts and Blue Jay Central, but uh, uh, frankly, I think they had a hard time finding someone who would work with me. <laughs> and, um, it takes a, it takes the, the, the choice came down to, well, we could get rid of Blair and bring two other new people in, or we could keep Blair and try to match somebody up with him. And one of the things I really wanted the show to be, and it, it was really important to me was that the co-host be somebody who has played the game and was a good storyteller and could explain the game to people because I just didn't want another show where it's two guys sitting there talking about how everybody needs to give 110% and everything will turn out right. And uh, Kevin, because of Kevin's career, he is the perfect, he's the perfect guy to have in this show because he's played in the majors. He's played just about everywhere in North America. He knows a lot of people. He's a smart guy. And he wrote to have, I'm going to, I'm going to try to be polite about this, but to have a long baseball career and not have it all be in the majors, you've got to be one, a pretty good person because you've got to put up with a lot of stuff. You've got to travel. Well, you've got to make friends Two, You've got to be a good teammate. Uh, that is, that is absolutely important. And three to sort of transition into this job I see, you have to be a bit of a storyteller and you have to have fun. And, and I know Kevin and I talked about this the other day. And, and I said, originally, the first time I was on with Kevin, I thought, 
this guy's great, but man, I just don't know if I'm going to get any stories out of him because I think Kevin, you can talk to this as well. You know, Kevin was, well, I don't really want to talk about that because that happened in double A. And, you know, I, I said, Kevin, you're talking to a bunch of people who are beer league baseball players. Somebody at some point has looked at Kevin Barker and said, he's good enough. I'm going to give him a check to play baseball. So your experiences are worth way more, way more than anything else anybody's going to bring to the table. And um, his personality took over. Um, and yeah, it was after about a week, I think, Kevin, it was, it was really, it was just fun. And, um, as I say, he's got a lot of stories and and once he got comfortable telling those stories, um, it's been great. You know, this year we just found out we had Sean Casey on and Sean Casey told the story about Barker showing up in spring training with a vanity license plate that said first base. (laughs) Yeah, and, and, I mean stuff like that. Okay, but I looked at him and I said, "You've been beside me for three or four years, and you haven't told me this story." And I'm, well, you know, I really want to say it. So that's—I know it's—it's it's kind of a long answer, but Kevin's played a lot of baseball in a lot of places, met a lot of people, and as I said, if he wasn't a good person and wasn't a good teammate, it wouldn't have lasted that long. So I think it's a natural, a natural. Yeah transition yeah the guys who are good in media mostly the guys who are good especially in baseball media were guys who were good teammates and good people sure. very few people were not good teammates and not good people and successfully transitioned to the media yeah steve yeah. i got i gotta be honest with you that's that's a great answer by jeff it's it, it's a. Uh... You know, the, the couple of things. Well, there's a couple of people. <clears throat> Scott Moore was obviously the first guy that actually right. gave me an opportunity to walk up to me because of his relationship with with my wife and, and you know, my wife coming back to to Canada. If anybody doesn't know, my wife's Hazel May. She's a sideline reporter for the Blue Jays. So that that connection there with with her boss at the time was Scott Moore. Obviously, he's not there now with sports mm-hmm. that. But he was the first guy that walked up to me and said, hey, have you ever thought about going to the media? Now, I was like, well, <laughs> I got to be honest with you, you know, not a chance. Like, I, I just didn't ever think that, you know, the, my accent, where I was trying to do this from, uh, you know, where would I do it at? Like, how would I even get started in this? And he just sort of said, well, easiest way for you to do it is have a, a person that's willing to give, to give you an opportunity to jump in there. And he was the guy that gave me the platform, right? He, you know, he threw me on. I think Jeff was the first person that, that I ever went on the radio with, actually the radio. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, was I was still trying to get my feet wet, which Jeff is the perfect person for me to go on with. I hate to say that with him in the same room and he can actually hear me say that. <laughs> and it's going to come he, up tomorrow when we do our show. It'll be the first thing that's mentioned on the show but tomorrow. He, absolutely. He is the perfect guy to, you know, just to criticize me in a way that, that, don't be afraid to be yourself. And it took me a little no. while to, to actually be, you know, the, the, the handsy guy and the, and the, you know, now we're on TV, which we're very fortunate, me and Jeff to have that platform too, that I can be myself. And, and I never thought that I could go from where I started with Scott Moore actually coming up to me and saying, Hey, you want a chance to, to do yeah. this? And, and to me actually being here with Jeff and, and just, you know, it's, it's, I was talking to my wife on the way home today, the conversation that me and him had today about the, the umpires about, about the sticky stuff and coming off the field. And I was telling my wife five years ago, there's no chance 
that I could have had a conversation like that, that I would have felt comfortable enough in my own skin and, you know, just the ability to be able to back up what I was saying and people actually liking that. And yeah. I, that is, that has a lot to do with Jeff with the presentation and how he sets it up for me and just allows yeah. me to be sometimes a little on the, you know, as my, as my buddy, John Gibbons would say on the other side of the mountain, Occasionally sure. I'll be, I will be that way. And, and yeah. I'll after that to Jeff. So, yeah. And, you know, again, my wife, my wife has been there and done it through a lot of things and I can throw a lot of stuff off of her. If I say it this way on the radio, what do you think this sounds like? And she's, she's straight up. She'll say, that's the yeah. dumbest thing I've ever heard. Don't say that. Or she'll say, say it this way. So I've been very fortunate to have the, the people that I've had to be able to throw things off of and, and, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a collection of everything sort of coming to a head. And now it's ended up the Here way it is. Ended up. And, and, you know, Stephen, I, I, I'm going to jump in. One of the things, too, and I have told Kevin this, I'm a big soccer fan. And I listen religiously to Talk Sport. I listen to BBC 606. Yeah. And I love it when you have a former professional athlete paired with somebody who's watched the game a lot and worked in the game because, and it doesn't matter, doesn't matter what that athlete's done in his career. doesn't matter where he's played, what he achieved or anything. I mean, some of the really good, the guys that I like listening to the soccer guys, are Jason Cundy, Jamie O'Hare, they're guys who played, yep. right? Yep. And that's what I like about Kevin is I know I'm talking about, a, I'm talking to a guy who has stood at home plate and had Kevin Brown throw inside to him. Yep. I'm not finding anybody else in my station that I can sit with and say, what's it like to have a guy throw 99 miles an hour at your noggin? Yeah. And that's hugely important. And guys, guys who have that experience bring an insight that you can't get anyplace else. Sure. And that's, I think that's why, that's why it works. It works so well. I think it works brilliantly. Uh, and I think certainly here, uh, where obviously baseball coverage is much smaller than it would be in Canada and certainly in the States. Um, there are two shows that I think most UK fans will, will talk about. Uh, you guys uh, will be right up there in terms of pure baseball stuff. And Tim and Sid, when they were doing their show, was the second one just talking about obviously the Leafs and you know Raptors and other stuff um, is the other show that particularly with the UK audience that they talk about. Uh, but I think I think what I love about listening to you is that camaraderie that you have between the two of you and that you're coming to the same storyline, but from completely different perspectives because of your experiences in 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 a media industry and, uh, and as a baseball player. But it's more than just a technical breakdown. It's the it's the life that you bring to the stories that makes it so listenable for, for people like us and 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 tuning into you guys i love it at the moment that you're on at 10 to 12 because that's perfect timing for us i hate it when you move into the afternoon because that makes it you know so much later here so i'm i'm a big advocate for you stay, staying in the morning um but it, it's it's lifeblood for for, for us because we get so little coverage here but being able to tune into you and if it's you know i i often on my commute into work i'll listen to blue jays talk after the game the next day, because that's my first sort of dip into particularly evening games. Um, so it's a fantastic show. One thing I think you could do, I'd love to see you do this actually, is take your show in front of a live audience. Hire a theatre out and yeah. do it in front of people. 
Because I think like the, gar- think like the po- football rambler, the Guardian Football Weekly. Totally. And- Absolutely. All that stuff. They do a lot of that here. The cricket podcast. Yeah. They they take their shows in front of a live theater audience and and take questions from the audience. I think it would be electric with you two because I think you present so, so well. And if you do that, I want to I want to come. Oh, so, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So take so Blair and Barker on tour, not just podcasts, but actually physically doing it. I think I think you get I, a lot of people coming to see that. I'd be down so, for that. I'd I be down to, for that. I Got think Blair, find somebody can cut a check. Blair needs <laughs> Blair knows all the right people. He needs to hook that up. That that'd yeah. be tremendous to to break down swings and and uh, yeah to hear people's reactions when you're trying to do that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think the stories that you bring Kevin into that arena, you know, people fans like us, we haven't experience what you've experienced we we enjoy the game because we watch it and uh, you know obviously a lot of guys have played it um in, in canada you know for us it's not a game that we play here much it is played but it's very low level uh so to be able to sit and listen to your experiences and and bring something to the table that we wouldn't pick up necessarily just by watching the game on tv or in the ballpark i i, I think it's got i thought i think it's a winner i think you should go yeah. for it Anyway, that's my that's my suggestion. That's you can be our international. You can it. be our international agent. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But if you if you're gonna come here, I'll I'll find some theatres for you. I'll oh, do that, and then maybe go down to the Algarve and places like that too. I mean, we'd yes. have to we'd have to spread it around Europe a little bit. You know? Yeah, I'm sure. You maybe know, Paris and Paris and Monday night. You know, totally. we could we could make it work. Excellent. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, well, let's just um just talk about the Jays then. Where. In terms of where they are now, you know, month and a bit into the season, do you think they're generally happy with where they are? I know clearly, obviously, things haven't planned out in the way that they thought they would with the injuries and so on. Uh, yet we're in a we've got a winning record. We've come through a very tough sixteen game series. Do you think the Jays, as an organisation, sort of big broad brush, are generally happy with the position they're currently in? Go ahead, Cap. Yeah, I, I do. The people I talk to, the coaches, uh, there's a, a buzz. I was there in 2006. It was about finishing third. They, they never talked about winning the American League East. They never talked about going to the World Series. Uh, the, the big picture was never there. It was always about, you know, the Red Sox and the Yankees are always much better than we are. We're always finished third. Uh, when I went to spring training, I talked to Jeff, and I said the buzz there from the coaches, from the people that you rarely hear from, is like I've never heard before, just the way they went about everyday business, how professional it was, how you didn't have to walk up to a, a younger Santiago Espinal and say, hey, we need you to be here. He was already there. And that will mm-hmm. tell you that, you know, people behind the scenes are doing exactly what they need to do to get everybody, you know, on the all on the same page. And, and obviously that starts with the people running it, Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins. You know, you can say what you want. Uh, you know, he, they, they stepped in here and with Alex Anthopoulos leaving, who was loved by a, a lot of Blue Jays fans. And, yep. you know, they, 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 they gotten off to a little bit of a rocky start and they needed to start winning and heading in the right direction. Now, obviously, they got Bo Bichette and they got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And they added George Springer and they brought in some legit pitching, which all helps. But you got to sell it. You got to know, you know, how to how to sell it to fans that it's just not going to be this year. It's not going to be April. It's not going to be. Mm. It's little things, Steve, like, uh, you know, shifting more than any team in baseball. When could you ever say that the Blue Jays were first in anything when it come to April? 
you just sort of tried to survive in April. The, the yeah. years that I can remember, Jeff, Jeff can attest to this. He's been around the Blue Jays longer than I have, but it was more about survival than it was actually, well, let's head it. Let's, let's try and do it better than everybody else because we want that cushion. And, just having those conversations because the front office is in tune with the talent on the field. And that's rare for me. And you can mm-hmm. tell it's coming to a head now. And it is all about winning. Steven, when you're at the field and you're talking to all the players, you hear Bo Bichette talk, which is sort of the spokesman, George Springer, sort of the spokesman, everything. And all the, the, the conversation starts with winning. We're here to win. We're doing the little things to figure out how to consistently win. And I know it's nice. And I know it's a lot of fun for Blue Jays fans to be watching all that. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing that has happened is ownership has ponied up. And, in, you know, I, I, go, I started covering the Jays in 2000 when I moved here from Montreal. And at that time, now the team was eventually sold to Rogers Communications. And even when Rogers Communications first bought the team, all you heard from people like J.P. Ricciardi, and I'm not saying this to criticize him because I like J.P., but all you heard from that management group was, uh, we can't beat the Yankees. We've got to think like a small market. We've got to take the payroll down. You know, we, 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 we have to ensure that we don't do anything so stupid that the corporate types and Rogers look down at us and go, uh, okay, why are we paying for this? And I'll give you an example. B.J. Ryan, when they had B.J. Ryan, uh, they decided to let him go. They decided to let B.J. Ryan go. Paul Beeston, who was the president at that time, had to come down to the Rogers head office, meet with the board, and basically say, we're paying this guy $18 million to leave. And even though it didn't, this company is so big, what the Blue Jays do doesn't necessarily have an impact on it. It's like anything else. You don't want any sticker shock. You don't, you basically want people to leave you alone. And, and I thought about that because when 2015 came along and Alex Anthopoulos went all in and the ballpark started to get full and the TV ratings came up and they sold a ton of merchandise across the country. I think it resonated with ownership and I think ownership realized that, okay, we can, this thing, not only, not only is this a nice bauble for us to have, we can actually generate revenue with this. And, you know, the proof was in the pudding. The Jays were good. The ballpark was, was, was filled. And I think what happened when ownership started doing things like signing George Springer, um, you know, making competitive, off, competitive offers for players who didn't come here. You know, they signed Hyunjin Ryu, who was a Scott mm-hmm. Boris client. There was a time where the Jays wouldn't talk. To, I mean, they had a flaw of policy. Mm-hmm. We won't talk to, trade for, or draft a Scott Boris client. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, Scott Boris starts talking about, you know, this is an organization that's thinking a little bigger. Then they signed George Springer. Then this year, the, the, the contract to me that really stands out is they took Jose Barrios and basically told him to forget about free agency until he's 35 or so sign a long-term contract here. And I think what happens when an ownership group does that and when it does things like brings Kirby Yates in last year, even though he wasn't making a lot of money, he was hurt and they just, well, whatever, we'll just bury the cost. It doesn't matter. Mm. I think the players realize now that the Jays do have money. They do have the, uh, they have the, the willingness to go out and add pieces 
So this is a team that thinks it's pretty good and realizes that if it gets to the trade deadline and it's in contention, these guys may go out and add a Joey Votto or, uh, uh, you know, a reliever. That is a huge change because what it has done, I wouldn't say Toronto's a destination, but I guarantee you six years ago, Kevin Gossman doesn't even, his agent doesn't mm-hmm. even take the call from the Blue Jays in the offseason. Sure. Yeah. Uh, six years ago, George Springer's, they, they don't take a call from the Blue Jays. That is a real sea change in how this organization has done business. And they stopped talking about being a small market. And now Mark Shapiro will tell you, theoretically, we are the biggest market in baseball. We've got a whole country. Yeah. We are the biggest market in baseball. They're acting like the biggest market in baseball. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's, I think we're, it's different to what I remember in 2013, which is one of the years I, I was out uh, and Dickie had just been signed. And they were, again, for that season, there was this massive momentum. This is the year. And then by the end of April, it was like, nah, this isn't happening. Yeah. Where- by the end of April, it was, oh, this is a yeah, year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, guys, let's, let's go back yeah. to the Leafs or something. Uh, exactly. But I, I think, I think building up from, 2019 obviously through the pandemic year then with all that happened last year and getting so close game away from postseason there just is a momentum and a heartbeat in this team which feels different and I, I think the camaraderie that we see across the the roster and you know the the joy of home run jackets and and all that sort of stuff there's a there seems to be a belief in this team and even with the injuries that they've had already this season you know, the guys I, that are coming in. Yeah, I think what, what the difference between this team in 2015 is 2015, 2016, you knew the clock was running down, right? That's why 2015 hurt for so many Blue Jays fans because they knew mm-hmm. Jose Batista was on the downside. They knew Josh Donaldson was on the downside. They, they knew Edwin was on the downside. The difference with this team is they're young and they're in the, ascend- the ascendancy. Bo and Vladdy haven't been as good as they can be yet. So this is literally a team that I think the fan base can grow with. And in 2015, the fan base, you go to a game at the Rogers Center, it was a lot younger than it used to be. It was a lot more multi-ethnic than it used to be. Jays, if you go to a Jays game now, it looks more like a Raptors game than a Leafs game. That never used to be the case. Mm. That never used to be the case. And part of that is because there's this young team that younger people can gravitate around. And, And as I said, you can grow with it. They're likable. That, that's the one thing that stands out yeah. to me is you. There, there's not a player on that team that you don't like. Like you, yeah. I, I, you'd be, you could sit down and pick at every single player on that team and say, "Can I like that player?" And the answer would most of the time come back and be, "Yeah, yeah. I sort of do like sure. that dude. I can't wait to yeah. see him play again." And I think that's you know when, when you're hearing about they want the best product, but they also want nice dudes. They want good teammates. And <clears throat> me and Dan Shulman always joke around, and I say I've been on a bazillion teams, and I can tell you that when I was on teams from winter ball to minor leagues to the big leagues, you'd have your little groups. There'd be four or five over here that you really liked, that you hung out with all the time. And then there's everybody else that, look, quite frankly, is just like most jobs where you just don't get along with them. Like you spend yeah. so much time with them and you're around them so much that you just don't want to hang out with them anymore. 
you get the impression with this team that just everybody's in it together and they want to go to dinner after the game and they want to hang out with their families and, you know, they want to talk about baseball and why aren't you getting hits? And you can tell when Bo is struggling, George Springer struggles. He may not be struggling, you know, on the field with hitting a baseball, but he's struggling because his buddy's struggling. And the yep. same with Blatty and the same with Lourdes and the same with Matt Chapman, who looks like he should have been a Blue Jay for his entire career. I he just sort of fits yeah. like a glove. It's kind of cool to watch, you know, yeah. when, when one guy's struggling. It's like it's like it's up to them to sort of figure out a way to get him out of it because he's such a nice dude and we like him so much. We don't want him to suffer, you know. It's yeah. so it's just kind of cool for fans to come and actually see that. And, and for Sportsnet, give him credit. They pan over to to the dugout, Steve. I think you've noticed yeah. when you're watching the game, so you can live with that with them. Like see him flipping the iPad and Bo throwing his hands in the air, and he's yeah. he's hitting the seat. You know, like I should have hammered that, or my, I'm so mechanically off that I just have no chance. You know, you can actually feel it with him and live it with it, and it's kind of cool. I think. Yeah, I, that, I had a that, I, I had a chat with Ross Atkins the other day, and uh, we were talking about Bo, and I said it's funny. I have a friend whose son is 11 years old and he has become a baseball fan in the last two years. And he's a Bo Bichette fan. And I was talking to his dad the other day because uh, his dad ran into him and he was talking about Bo Scufflin. And he said, you know, what's funny. He said with Darren, his son with Darren, I don't even need to know what happened the night before, because when he's up for breakfast in the morning, if Bo had a bad game, he's pissed. Like he's, you know, <laughs> sitting there, and he's you know, poking at his cereal. Seriously, he said, you know, I, so yeah, I, yeah. I look at him and, and, and I just say, Bo didn't do well last night, did he? He said the one time Darren said, I want to talk about it. And that's <laughs> and that is that's kind of the that's the feeling that this team is kind of engendered in its fan base. And it's 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 cool to see. It really is. Yeah. It is great. So so hopefully he had a good breakfast this morning because Bo looked a little bit better last night and I, mm-hmm. I mean, he's clearly struggled over this this opening month do you feel that he's now finding his groove i mean is is he getting there i mean he just looked more at home last night and obviously he had the the grand slam which was a high point but there's been quite a lot of low points and yeah, as you say jeff the, the moments where you see him in the dugout and he's looking at the ipad and you know hitting his thigh and what have you do, do you feel that he's now sort of out of that mini slump and and we can expect greater things as we go through May. Dude, I, I think there's two. I think there's two Bo Bichettes. I think there's a defensive Bo Bichette, and I think there's an offensive Bo Bichette. And the offensive side of Bo Bichette has his dad Dante. We have Dante on quite a bit because we like talking mm. to him about yeah, baseball great the other in general, day. and, and he, he's yeah. tremendous. Like he just yeah. the insight he gives you, and and you know that perspective of he's not getting hits but he's hitting the ball hard you know look at those numbers don't look at so much the the total outcome of what he's not doing and just little things like that for Bo to to, to come back with you know if anybody watches Bo because he takes the big giant big dad I like to call him big daddy hacks and Blair laughs at me but when he takes those and you see the balance Steve you know you you watch hitting enough the good hitters are always balanced like they're finished they get their finish it looks so easy and so smooth like they're just not trying to get there and you've seen the last week Bo is actually using his lower half and there's not a bunch of, of falling all over the plate and for me when he's good doing that Mm. offensively he can start to use line to line and when he can do that let the ball travel because the bad speed he has and then there's the defensive side of it and Blair is real good about pointing out on our show 
about Matt Chapman and Santiago Espinal. And I think that's sort of every, you know, good player who has some issues with certain parts of his game need a blanket. And Bo is, you know, Bo's lucky has two blankets. Santiago yeah. Espinal can't pick it. Like he is like the balls hit around him. It's like suction cup. You know, he's going to get it and he's yeah. going to throw it out. He's got a great arm. He's got an accurate arm. And then you got that thing at third base, which I don't know about you, Steve, but as a, as a, as a Blue Jay, you know, watcher who watches every single game and, and as a, a baseball fan, I just don't know if those guys come, like Matt Chapman defensively come around every day. I, yeah, that's second to none. Like the things he yeah. does defensively allows the, the Blue Jays what I talked about the shift. And how many third basemen do you know that they can put straight up at shortstop and say, cover the left side of second base, you got that, and we're going to take care of everything on the right side. It's it's not, you know, feasible for them to, to actually have guys throughout the league that can do that. So to have yeah. two blankets like that that he can rely on makes it a little easier for him to, to make mistakes, take some more chances. Mm. But I, you know, how can you argue with Bo? We get phone calls, we get texts all the time. Move Bo <laughs> off, you, off, you know, move him out of the two hole. Everybody obviously thinks this team is good and wants him to win. But there's a lot of teams in Major League Baseball would love to have Bo Bichette as the shortstop and as their of number course. two hole hitter. Yeah. yeah, and there's yeah. no question that the Jays are ever going to think about moving him from shortstop. I mean, you know, no, despite the listen, despite the errors and what have you. No, if if if. If ever there was a year to take Bo and move him to second base, it was this year because there were a ton of shortstops in the free agent market. There were a ton of shortstops available in trade, and the Jays had a need for a second baseman. So if ever there was a time to really go all in and move Bo to second base, it would have been this year. And you know they just we know they haven't we know they haven't discussed that, and we know that two years ago when they were thinking about bringing in guys like Didi Gregorius to play shortstop. We know that they talked to Bo about it. And the conversation with Bo was, we will move you to second base if we can bring somebody in. Essentially, if we can bring somebody in that you know is better than you at shortstop. So it's not like they never entertained the, uh, the idea of moving him. But it's it, it's just it's not on the it's not on the table right now, and I, I don't think it ever I don't think it ever will be. I don't know. Maybe at some point later on in his career, Bo makes the move. But right now, I, I hate I don't to say it I hate to say it because nobody would want to hear it. I would think just this is me personally. The people I've talked to, he'll be traded before they move him to second base. I think that's right. I think uh, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's not hope that ha- that doesn't happen soon. Because you know, no, I, I think play. we're I, no, no, yeah, no. We're looking we're way away. We're looking, from yeah, we're looking years down the road. I mean, it's two some World point Series they, championships before that happens. <laughs> yeah, come on. I, listen, <laughs> no, this is my point. At some point, they're going to have to pay Bo and Vladdy a lot of money. Combined, you're probably going to be looking at half a billion dollars for those two guys yeah. if you sign them to long term contract. And what I think happens in in best case scenario. I think the Jays win a World Series at some point in the next couple of years. Then the Jays say, okay, the fan base is happy. Uh, ownership's happy. We got a couple of rings. Okay, now let's – we got to make a call here. And right now, I think if you're the Blue Jays and you go to the Blue Jays and say you can sign one guy, one guy will sign for – because we're talking, we're, we're talking a lot of money here. Mm. I think they would probably – I think they'd probably go with Vladdy. Um, but, but Barker's right. That's, 
I, I would think they would, I would think they would have to win a world series before that becomes a possibility. Otherwise they'll just run it out with Bo and Vladdy until they become free agents. And you know what, mm-hmm. if you've got, if you've got Bo all the time and you don't win during the six years, he's here, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's just, just not much to say about that. Yeah. No, sure. You mentioned Matt Chapman. Uh, I mean, it, again, just uh, the final out from last night's game, uh, which was, you know, in the context of what's lot, like, all these one-run games and loaded bases and stuff, uh, how much value has Matt Chapman brought to this team? I mean, he's... They haven't had a defensive weapon like that since Scott Rowland. When Scott Rowland... Scott Rowland was a terrific defensive third baseman. They haven't had anybody that is a game-changing defensive player like he is since then. I mean, they, they just haven't. The Jays have had, they've had a number of good defensive players, right? You go back to Robbie Alomar, Alomar and Devon White and, mm-hmm. and Jesse Barfield back in the day with his arm. And, and, and uh, <clears throat> but nobody, nobody is a, has been a defensive weapon the way Matt Chapman is. Just and Kevin's just, right. He's just like a ro- he's like Ross. having a rover. He does. He's he a guy back. who can play three positions. This gets yeah. back to the Ross Atkins thing of, of thinking things through the what ifs. And you got to remember next year, there's probably gonna, not going to be a shift. That's yeah. when for me, he's going to show, you know, his value is just mm-hmm. by the way they're playing, the way they take away the hole. If you have to have two, two defenders on each side of that bag, you know, you can move those two guys around where you want to move them around. And Bo with the throwing issue and the and the accuracy, all the things that, you know, sort of Bo has Bo things with when it yeah. comes to the defensive side of the ball. You can have that guy doing some things, make it a little easier for Bo to, to take care of what he's taking care of. He's Look, it's it, it, you can tell just by the way Vladdy catches balls at first base, how excited he is to catch them. You know, yeah. it's just it's like one guy feeds off of another guy because that guy is so much better than everybody else that yeah. they know when he's around the baseball, you're out. And how you got to figure, too, if you're a pitcher, just thinking about if I, you know, I'm a sinker ball guy or I want to flip that OO breaking ball to that big time right handed hitter, which there's a ton of in the American League East. I know that guy at third base is going to, you know, vacuum up everything over there. It just he's. He makes everybody else around him that much better, and he makes the coaching staff that much better because now they can put people wherever they yeah. want to put everybody because he's got the left side of the infield. Yeah, yeah. Now I think he's been an amazing acquisition. I think it's very exciting to see that corner because I think last year clearly the sort of platoon of players coming through third base just was a, a weak weak point in the side. The the Biggio SB. I mean, that sort of just found its way now, hasn't it, in terms of Espinal? I mean, second base is his yeah. for the foreseeable future. Uh, obviously, um, Biggio's out on, on COVID um, uh, IL. What, what's, what's the answer to Kevin? Uh, where, where does he go from here? Is it a case that he needs to drop down to AAA to just get some confidence back? I mean, how, how long do you sort of try and do something with somebody who clearly just not doesn't appear to be that happy at the moment. Um, I mean, I, I think Kevin, I think he's a classic change of scenery guy. I yeah. think you, Kevin Biggio's 
biggest value to this team right now is as part of a trade. And he's not good enough that he would be the focal point of the trade. Nobody's going to give you, I, I don't mm-hmm. think Kevin Biggio straight up gives you, um, you know, gives you that difference making bullpen arm, but maybe Kevin Biggio plus a prospect does. Uh, and I think Kevin, I think we're on the same page here. I just, I, I don't, I look at this team right now. I'd rather have Raf, I'd, I'd rather have uh, Santiago Espinal at second base. And I'd rather have Rymel Tapia coming off the bench to swing a left-handed bat compared to Cavan. Yeah. And that's to me, Cavan is a 25th or 26th guy in this team. And I do think, I think he just needs different voices in his head and a different organization to maybe unlock something. Maybe there's something still there, but he's, it's not like he's 21. It's not like he's 21. Yeah. The, the issue, the issue with Cavan is he's, he's got a little of, of a lot of, big leaguers that are on the fringe. I was one of those guys when the book's out that you can't do something. It's like the elevated fastball hurts Kevin so much because of the launch angle. He has the natural little uppercut that most lefties were born with. It's just who you are. And now you try and hit over the shift instead of line drives through the shift. Mm-hmm. Doesn't always work that way, but it's the mindset of that. And now the book's out that, you know, you you don't have to really pitch him tough to get him out. You can get him out by making decent pitches. That That's the one thing for me that uh, – and I'm, I'm sorry I'm peeking here, but Vladdy just hit a two-run homer. So, I, I was <laughs> – so, it's two-nothing already. Bo, okay. Bo, hit a, Bo hit a single to left, and then Vladdy hit a oh-oh homer, homer to left. So, it's just right on cue that we start talking right. about the two futures of the Blue Jays. And, there they go. You know, I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm on the same I'm on the same uh, boat with Jeff that I think change the scenery. I think for me anyway, until Kevin figures out how to be a little bit more straighter up and down at the plate with his finish. I talk about finish all the time, but until you're a little bit more, you know, Steve, you, every time you see young kids who want to bend at the waist, well, when you bend, the barrel tends to go here. And now because of the elevated fastball, all the power and the elevated stuff and the tunneling off that, yeah. it's very hard to catch up to that. And when the book's out, right, it's it was like me. My plate awareness was an issue when I was a player, and the ball in off the plate would get me out a lot. And that cost me a ton of big league time. If I could have figured mm-hmm. that out or had somebody help me with that, moving me on the plate, maybe I'd have been around a lot longer in the big league level. But that's sort of for me anyway, where Kevin's at. And now you yeah. are on a team that is nothing but about winning. And when you have a better second baseman who is doing better things and it's a better fit all around, you tend yeah. to be left out. And I think that's where Kevin's at. Yeah. Do we have a different Charlie Montoya at the head of this team this year? We've seen a couple of moments where Charlie's got off the bench and and has been thrown out the game, which is unusual for him. Uh, Do do you think there's a fire in his belly this year that we haven't seen? Or is it something he's just been keeping closed doors and just uh, waiting for the moment? I think he realizes that the expectations this year are that you win a world series or yeah. go to a world series. It's hard to say you expect to win a world series because once you get there, I mean, the anything can involved. Happen. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There's an awful lot of, of, there's an awful lot of luck involved in that, but the expectations are that this team, this team go to the world series. Um, ownership spent a ton of money, no excuse anymore. You're not playing in Dunedin or Buffalo and, and, um, 
you know, uh, you've only got, I mean, the clock is running on Vladdy and Bo, right? Again, it doesn't mean it's going to run out next year, but every year you don't win. It's like the Toronto Maple Leafs. Every year you don't win with Austin Matthews is a lost opportunity or Edmonton or any, any team that spurs with Harry Kane, right? Every year you don't win with a guy, the window closes a little more. And I think Charlie's, Charlie's aware of that. Charlie is a better manager this year because he has a better, more organized bullpen, but I still see things. I see him not pinch running for Alejandro Kirk. And I hear that, you know, we're not going to do it because we you know, we like the matchup Kirk versus the Yankees bullpen gives us two innings down the road. And Kevin and I are on the same page here. My response is you aren't scoring runs. You got a lead off man on base. You have Bradley Zimmer for two reasons. He can catch the ball and he can run. He can't do anything else. Alejandro Kirk is DHing that. It's not like you're, you're taking your catcher out of the game. When I see things like that, and then in the very same game, Aaron Boone pinch hits for Giancarlo Stanton because he wants to, he's going for it. When Mm -hmm. I see that, that gives me cause for concern. Mm-hmm. For, for, for me, at least the people I've talked to, it's, it's hard to speak of, you know, the communication factor, which I like to ask players. I like to ask other coaches what they've seen from Charlie. You know, for me anyway, guys that have came from where Charlie's come from, the, the as many years as he robusts the minor league level, it's sort of like that new shirt you buy. It takes you a little while to break it in. It takes you a little while to get comfortable with it. And, you know, Charlie is, for me anyway, because of the things that off the field, you mentioned he's getting thrown out now, just seems like he's a little bit more comfortable being a big league manager. Like, he, he fits mm-hmm. now. That's it's fair. A, That's it's fair. a fit. You know, I, I get Jeff, and I'm the first one. Jeff will tell you I'm the first one to – I'll pick at every little thing he does. Why didn't he do this? It's about winning. It ain't about worrying about what's happening three innings from now. But, you know, you, when you look at big picture, you look at – the leader, how your team acts because that's how your manager acts. It's sort of like the Aaron Boone thing. Aaron yep. Boone's got to be a little intimidating because it's the New York Yankees. How dare you call that on Aaron Judge? I'm not going to allow that to happen. And yep. you see a little bit of that with with uh, Charlie just because I think he's more comfortable now. And everything that comes with being a 2022 manager with the communication and selling it and we're going to yep. do this and and – this is why we're doing it, and it's a Blue Jay way. And, mm. you know, again, I, I mentioned that 2006 thing. There was no Blue Jay way. There was no, no – you you name some way, there was no way of that. And there is now. And I think a lot of that you can give Charlie credit for. He's, he's sort of established that in the clubhouse, and it's trickling down to what's happening between the lines. Yeah. I think really good teams, really good baseball teams, in some way reflect their manager. You know, the teams that I've covered, the Expos teams that I covered that were really good had Felipe Alou as a manager. They reflected Felipe Alou. They were smart. They were aggressive. Uh, you know, they were young. I mean, they had a real, a real sense about them. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, I look at Joe Torre's Yankees, very professional. Bobby Cox's Braves, very professional. Um, and I... I just, I, I think Kevin's right. I think that's the right word. I, the first thing that comes to my mind when I see the Blue Jays, in addition to young and talent, yeah, young and talented, is I see a team that's very comfortable with itself. I think they're mm-hmm. comfortable with yeah. who they are. They're comfortable with how they go about their business. And 
I still think the manager has some sort of a role in that. I've come around to Kevin's side. I used to be a big, the manager is an important part of the team. I still think he is, but I don't think the manager is as important as he was pre-analytics. I don't think the manager is... Kevin, I just don't think he has as much say in how stuff is done. I guess I think, I think he, I, I think he does with in-game decisions. That manager, that uh, that situation where you got to get up a a you know a, a David Phelps or a a Tim Mesa, and you got to give him options sometimes. And I will say this: Jeff knows. I do talk a lot with the coaches. You know, I, I played with most of them. A couple of them were my roommates. John Snyder was my roommate for quite some time. He's the bench coach for the Blue Jays. Mm, yeah. He's very – Charlie Montoya is very, very lucky. In my mind, he has the best pitching coach in all of baseball. Sure. You, if, you, if you noticed how these some of these guys – you say Kikuchi is a prime example. We talk about all the adjustments he's made in about eight days. You yeah. say went from off he was from walking off the plank yeah. – to sort of what he looked at yesterday and yep. you have to be a really good salesman. You got to be, you know, you got to know what you're talking about. You got to have that respect. And for Pete Walker to, to be able to do the things and John Snyder and, and Mark Bitsinski, who we don't talk a ton about, but just the communication factor and putting people in the right spots. A lot, there's a lot, you see it. Louis Rivera, the third base coach, who's the infield coach. You see the little charts. I know you see it, Steve, during the game. And you'll yep. see Mark Bitsinski with the chart in front of him and, and Louis Rivera with those charts and moving everybody around. It's not an easy gig to put all these dudes in the right spot and for him to have that coaching staff. And again, you know, I know a lot of people don't like to hear this, but you got to give Ross Atkins credit for him to be able to put that many coaches that have from that that are that familiar with the Vladimir Guerrero Juniors who are comfortable with you know the John Snyder's and the Mark Budzinski's and the, all those coaches that they came up with at the minor league level and brought those guys to the big league level, and it's yeah. looking the way it's looking. It just for me, it's getting closer and closer to that fine tune machine. Yeah. And that's sort of what you have to have in the American League East. You want to beat the Yankees? Don't screw up. Don't do the little things like Jeff was talking about by not pinch running, which I'm sure if he had that to do over with, he'd probably pinch run for Kirk. Yeah, It's just little things. You know, you make a mistake, don't do it over and over and again because it's the American League East. And yeah. I think that has a lot to do with everybody. Everybody gets a lot of credit for that. Yeah. With Kikuchi's performance last night, does that then take the pressure off getting Ryu back in? Because uh, Stripling's doing quite well, or does it just give some balance to the whole starting rotation? Because it felt obviously we had three strong starters and two slightly weak ones. Now, if Kikuchi is sort of getting on top of his troubles, that then just eases that whole rotation. Do, do you think they'll go back to a six man rotation when he gets back in? Yeah, I'll, I'll quickly say that the six-man rotation, I'm going to say no to that. I think they were doing that in the first month of the season because of the short spring training. Okay. They wanted to get some guys built up. that And that six-man rotation, because there was no days off, was more for Ryu than it was for the other three big righties. But now that you have, you know, the, the three big righties in that routine of dominating every single time they go out, why, why would you rock that boat? You're, you're not going to mess those three guys up for one dude. And now if you can get raw, you know, you say Kikuchi and Ross Stripling doing something of whatever they can do, how can you let one guy come up in and sort of disrupt that? So I don't really see that knowing Pete Walker the way I do, you know, it, it is, I think for me anyway, and Jeff touched on it about them not 
caring about eating some money. It is about winning. And if Ryu comes back and it's not real good, yeah. I'm not saying they would get rid of him, but they would. But his I, times of starting would be limited. I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, listen. Yeah. I, I think that that's you say Kikuchi's development is hugely important because you can you can manage your way with four or five starters being really good. You can kind of figure things out if you have one one weak link in the chain. You can look at the matchups and, and plus with Ryu, it's never going to hurt to give him a day off. So you. You can pick and choose with him as long as Kikuchi's doing what he's doing. The issue would have been if Kikuchi was scuffling, now you've got Ryu coming back. It's awfully hard to work your way around two guys you really don't want to see, especially in the same series. I think what they do, I think Kevin's right when Ryu's healthy, and they will let him get healthy. He will be given every extra day he needs to get healthy. They bring him back. They pick a start for him. They see what he gives them. If he is a little bit like the Ryu we remember when he was good, well, you've got a great problem. If he isn't, thank you very much. Ross Stripling continues to make that start. You pick the spots with Ryu. You try to keep him fresh. Maybe at some point down the road, because he's got another year in his contract, maybe at the trade deadline when you're working the deal and you say, you know what, if you Mm. take Ryu off our hands – he will be more inclined to give you a Nate Pearson at the trade deadline, or I mean, there are ways of doing it. But the thing is, it's, it's not like Jay's ownership; they're not going to be pulling their hair out if they have to pay uh, Hyunjin Ryu to basically be a six starter. They'll pay Hyunjin Ryu to be a six starter, and no one will no one will say anything about but it. But I will stick up, I will stick up for him a little bit. I was in spring training, and I did talk to Pete Walker about him, and he was telling me about how he thought he was going to have a really good year. And I said, "Why is that?" He said, "Well, first of all, he's in better shape." You know, last year, I don't know the word that you want to, a nice word you want to use, but, you know, he wasn't in the best of shape. Like he was, yeah. he wasn't as, you know, the the way a guy that throws 90 miles an hour and who is a locate guy and a take the sting out of your back guy needs to be in kind of shape. And now you're adding the short ball parks and the minor league parks and mm. that mental part of it. And now you're adding some, you know, some not being in the best of shape. But I talked to Pete Walker. Pete Walker said he come in better shape. Uh, he looked like he was – he had a little bit letter, better life, which is a big deal. It's not so much about the number that he's throwing. It's more about the late giddy-up to his pitches, which is sort of a funny way to say it because he does throw 90. But yeah. if there is that little surprise occasionally. When he's real good because he's so unpredictable, it's the surprise. Like that heater looks different to everybody yeah. else. And for some reason, whatever the reason was, Petey, and I take his word for it because I think still think he's the best in the business, said he had it. And maybe he can get back yeah. to that. Maybe it was just because of health and – well, even, even his and... couple of starts he did have, he had like two or three innings, which actually looked very good. And then it suddenly went south and mm-hmm. it, looked, it went south spectacularly. And it's just like, I can't get myself out of this situation. And, and yeah, it just was clearly, clearly struggling. But let's see, see what happens when he when he returns. Yeah. I'm just I'm conscious of time, guys. I don't I don't want to outstay my welcome. I'd, I could talk to you all night. I'd be, this is great. Uh, I'd be more yeah. happy to do that, but I don't want to uh, to to keep you longer than um, than, no than necessary. I just wanted to just touch on the catcher situation. Um, obviously, with Jansen when he comes back into the lineup, how you see that playing out, and and particularly with Gabriel Marino in the wings, and and what that dynamic might 
play out later in the season. How, how do you see that one unfolding? Yeah, yeah. I think we're finding, I think we're finding out some things about Alejandro Kirk. Um, I think all of us have been surprised at how well he has handled the pitching staff. This is the guy who had, I think I said 48 starts behind the plate before Danny Jansen went down. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's catching a staff. that's one of the best staffs in baseball. Some of his decision-making in game. And we talked about that botched the, the play at the plate the other night, bad call by the umpire, but as Kevin broke down, it all started because Alejandro Kirk his brain locked up, whatever. He didn't execute a very basic play. And he gets picked off of first base. With and he gets picked off now. first base. Yeah, yeah. which is, yeah. which would indicate to me that he's, you know, I think he's wearing down. I talked to Ross Atkins yesterday uh, at the ballpark. Um, sorry, two days ago at the ballpark about Alejandro Kirk, especially. And he said, Hey, we're, we're happy with what we've seen from him defensively. Now this was before that, that air. He said, we're really happy with what we've seen from him defensively. He's done a great job behind the plate, but it's hurt him offensively. And I think we're, I think we're, we're finding out that Alejandro Kirk right now, at least, I don't think he can, I don't think he can be the type of guy who can be an offensive difference maker for this team playing a great deal. I, I almost think I'm almost at the point where I think as good as he is defensively, as, as much improvement he's made as he's made defensively. If you want to get something out of that bat, you can't look at him as an, as an everyday catcher. And I, I bet people around baseball, they're, they're looking at this and they're thinking the mm-hmm. same thing. They're thinking maybe that body type doesn't hold up. You know, maybe it's just a, maybe he's a, maybe he's a very good right-handed DH and a guy who can catch. Your catcher gets hurt. Well, you can stick you can stick Alejandro Kirk in for a weekend, and you're going to be okay. But I don't think anybody's under the impression anymore that he can be anything other than a number two on a on a team. Just show, it just shows you sometimes you don't know what you got till it's gone. Sure. Yeah, it's that 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 Danny Jansen factor where just. You could tell when Danny Jansen last year struggled offensively yeah. because of the re, trying to get Ryu through games, trying to get all of these pitchers through big time games in ballparks that were jokes for pitchers to pitch in. And now all of a sudden you want him to do that. And also, yeah. I'm not saying break because break is too much, too big of a word, but hold your own. And, yeah, and I it's think just sometimes it's sometimes a lot to ask, especially a kid with, you know, really who'd never played again above a ball. And now you're asking yeah. him just because he has bat to ball skills. Going to come catch up Kevin Dawson or Jose Barrios. Yeah. 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 Just to do. It's a lot to ask. So, you know, sometimes I try and and not be too hard on guys like that. I do think conditioning wise, he really needs to work on his body. Yeah. If he ever wants to be an everyday guy, everyday catcher, what plays four or five days a week. If he ever wants to be that guy and be productive on both sides of the ball, I think his conditioning has to take a whole different approach to who he is as a – just the appearance of the whole thing. You know, example, now, no, by no means am I comparing him to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but I remember the, the video that Hazel took of Vladdy, I don't know if that's a couple of years ago, walking yeah. out of the clubhouse on how big he looked. And yeah. then you look at him now. 
just the appearance of how good he looks, how ready he looks to play, how easy it is for a manager to go because of his appearance to write his name in the lineup every single day. It makes mm-hmm. it easier for that for them to be able to do that. And if Alejandro Kirk ever wants to be an everyday catcher, for me, that appearance has to get a little bit better. Yeah, you know, I, I, I remember a discussion I had with Russell Martin when he was here. And actually, believe it or not, the same discussion with Greg Zahn when he was catching. And different body types. Greg Zahn's weight used to, in season, he had a hard time keeping weight on. And one of the things he and Russ both said, the hardest thing to do when you become an everyday catcher is you got to figure out how to not lose too much weight in season because it's it gets hot out there and you're squatting and you're wearing equipment and then you're hitting and you're doing a lot of stuff. You got to figure out how not to lose too much weight and how not to put weight on like you it, it's it sounds simple and i know that every team now probably has an army of dietitians but i've always remembered russ talking about that you you just have to be aware of your body and you've got to try to find like that's why he did yoga and all these things that you've got to find a way to maintain as close as you possibly can to your to your perfect weight you're not, it's not always going to happen. There are going to be days where you're, you know, he said there are going to be days where you're going to come off. You're going to have lost five pounds because of the, the heat, but you've got to figure out a way to manage that. And now, yeah, now I don't I know if asked, Alejandro can. I have asked coaches, well, you know, why, why didn't in the off season get a little extra time because of the lockout work on, you know, what he looks like is it, the, the conditioning part of it. And he was, he told coaches that he hit, he seems to think he hits better, bigger. Yeah, I hit that. Yep. And maybe, maybe, you know, when you're a hitter first guy and you feel more comfortable with a little, you know, a little bit more of, of the way he looks now. Mm-hmm. But I just, you can tell by when he has to play, by the way they're playing him, giving him a couple of days off in a row. Mm-hmm. They're telling us without actually telling us that yeah. down the road that can be an issue. That, that could be an yeah. issue. I mean, mm-hmm. does, does the ball club not have – uh, nutritionists in terms of oh god they've dog. got an army of them yeah so they, they got a so guy hi- whose job is to give the players water they have a hydration specialist i'm not kidding he's in the dugout they have a okay. hydration specialist so so how does how does that then not play into somebody's condition because you know if you think of the premier league and 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 the again the the amount of time that they spend with yeah. players making sure that they are taking in the right fluids taking in the right food how how does somebody who appears not to have taken some, perhaps some of that advice. Uh, Parker, I mean, you, okay. You know, I, 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 again, I, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this back to Vladdy. Vladdy raked at the minor league level. I'm sure Vladdy's body type was the same as it was when he first got to the big leagues and was a little bigger because of the conditioning or lack of taking care of his body, what he was eating, what he wasn't eating. And then he failed. When he got to the big leagues, he understood the dude's here just as good as he is. And yeah. maybe this is a little what Kirk is going through of, you know, it's if you want to be that everyday guy and the guys here are just as good as you are or better at some certain things of locating and, and the velocity and the late movement and you want to do both sides of the ball, sometimes you got to fail first. And I think yeah. maybe this is where he's at because it's very hard to walk up to a guy who has the bat-to-ball skills. It's what they all speak about with Kirk. First thing out of their mouth is the bat-to-ball skills are off the chart. Well, he's had those looking this way. And he was he hit well last year and when he got called up. So it's very hard to walk up to a guy and go, hey, I know you hit well, 
but can you do something with the way that's looking? It's a hard sale. Now yeah. with the little bit of struggles that he's had, it's a little easier sell to go, hey, you know, it's not that's, working. Make a change. That's a great point. This is the first time he's been a major league catcher. Yeah. Yeah. And there's very much a chance that he has that same moment Vladdy does, that he goes home this offseason. You know what? I can't go out with the boys in Mexico and go out all night. And yeah, okay, I'll maybe I'll cut my workout down a little bit here. And and that's I mean, that's just that's just the process of maturing. But Kevin's absolutely yeah. right. That's nothing changes your mind more than getting up the majors and being embarrassed. You know, yeah. and and then you start thinking, okay, what can I do to maximize my ability to make a good income? And if someone says to you, the first thing you can do is get in shape, and you've just had it handed to you for an entire season because you're out of shape, you may go home and say, okay, this year mm -hmm. I'm going to spend more time at the facility in Florida. I'm going to get a place in Dunedin, and I'm going to work out as much as I can. Yeah. And 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 maybe that's that. That's the key to 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 Alejandro Kirk your, because every, everybody you talk to says the bat the ball skills are there. Everybody yeah, you talk to says that comes down to Steve. It's your career. You know, some, sure. sometimes you can't have fifteen different people telling you you need to do this until you actually tell yourself you need to make a change. What was it, Jose Batista said? I am an independent contractor. There this is. is my corporation. Mm -hmm. You know, I can sell shares in my corporation, or I can yeah. let it go to hell. There's yeah, very simple, and I yeah, think yeah. that's. That's a way to sum that's, it up. That's yeah. where he's at. Brilliant. I just wanted, uh, as we sort of come towards a close, just to ask a little bit in terms of your thoughts towards an international series back here in the UK. Obviously, back mm -hmm. in 2019, we had the, the Yankees-Red Sox, which was a big success, I think. Um, obviously, the, a lot of baseball fans here generally, uh, and certainly at those two, two games, uh, obviously, they're mostly represented by the Yankees and Red Sox, obviously. But behind that, I think the general opinion was the Jays were the next most well-represented team in terms of jerseys mm -hmm. and stuff that you could see in the in the in the crowd. I've always sort of understood that the sell for getting the Jays across here would be a hard one for MLB to swallow because of the American market. But I was really interested in what Mark Shapiro said. Um, it was a couple of weeks ago, and I think it was just a almost a passing statement that you know if the Jays did get involved in an international series because they seem to be now coming down the pipeline, England would make a good choice for them to come to. How realistically do you think that is likely to happen? Oh, listen, I, I think um, I think Major League Baseball, especially Rob Manfred. Uh, I'm going to say something nice about Rob Manfred here, um, but and I, and I, no, I generally, I mean, I, I've known him for a long time and I, I, he's always been good to deal with, but the one thing Rob's done some things in the past three years that have kind of surprised me. One thing about him though, is he, as part of his legacy, he does want to see major league baseball have a broader international uh, footprint. Um, I do think we will see a team in Mexico at some point. Mm. I know that they have taken a look at what the NFL has done. Yep. And I don't think we'd ever get, you'd never get to the point where you are now, where you are hearing rumors potentially of a team like Jacksonville relocating. You, you wouldn't see that happen because it's one thing to try to fill 
eight NFL dates in London. Another thing to try to fill 81 home games for, for a team. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. But baseball has one thing going for it. They play series and I can see, I can see a time where every year there are one or two, four game series in the UK um, at, at, at cricket ovals. I, you know, look, they God, they played a major league game in a freaking cornfield. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you can make it work. And, and sure. I, that is, that is something that Manfred has talked about. Yeah. I can see them absolutely playing games in, in Europe. Um, they're all, they always kind of tread carefully in Asia because those leagues are well-established and, if you're major league baseball, you don't want to have a whole bunch of games in Japan and take away from the Japanese league. There's a, there's kind of an equilibrium you find there, but yeah, I absolutely believe that there'll be, we'll, we're not that far away from a time where you'll see two or three series a year mm -hmm. uh, in the UK and the Jays, you know, the Jays, that would be right up Mark Shapiro's alley. And this team understands the concept of marketing beyond your market because they are there. There's only, there are only two national sports brands in Canada. There's team Canada, whatever it is. And there are the Jays. Yep. The Raptors have no currency in Vancouver. They got no currency where I'm from in, in Winnipeg. They've got no currency in the East coast, Canadian hockey teams, Manitoba and Saskatchewan likes the jets. Edmonton likes the Oilers. Calgary likes the flames. Toronto likes the Leafs. Everybody hates the Leafs. Montreal, you know, there's no national yep. Canadian hockey brand, but there is a national Canadian baseball brand. And because of that, I think they understand that you can make money growing your sure. brand. Yeah. So, yeah, I would uh, I would absolutely. And I know Mark's talked about this. I would I would absolutely think that they'll be knocking down the commissioner's the, the door of the commissioner's office the next right. time there's an international series. You could have Yankees and Jays, Red Sox and Jays It'd be perfect. Yeah, I was just going to say, who do you think the obvious opponent would be? I mean, they obviously pulled the Red Sox and Yankees because of the history there, but um, it would who, be it would Red Sox, Yankees, or Dodgers. Red Sox, Yankees, or Dodgers would have to be one of the teams. Yeah, maybe the Cubs, but those four sort of heritage teams, they would have to be one of the teams. Yeah, we, the Cubs Cardinals was the one that was planned for twenty twenty, but that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, we'd love to see it. Uh, and you guys, would you like to? travel over here and see a bit of baseball in a weird oh, stadium? I'd, I'd love it. I'd love it. I, I talked uh, just sort of a running joke of, about how much I traveled to play baseball in the Dominican Republic and, and Mexico and, and Puerto Rico. I played a ton and I played w once or twice in Venezuela, but I was mainly in Dominican Republic. I loved it. Yeah. I couldn't wait. Hey, I joked at the end of my career, I had more used the, the American baseball the summer to get ready for winter ball. It was yeah. it was almost uh, backwards when I was at the end of my career, just because I love to travel so much and and go over there and play. But yeah, I would love to go over and and watch yes. games over. It'd be, it'd be tremendous. Well, I think come. it'd be great. I actually I actually want to go and want, I want to, one thing I haven't done and it's on a bucket list. I want to go to Lords. I want to see I, I want to see a cricket huh? match. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. I can I've, yeah. I've 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 always I don't understand the sport, but as. <laughs> Uh, Eric Hinsky and I, former Blue Jay, were watching yeah. the TV in the clubhouse one time, and we were just we were just killing time. And he looked at me, and he was watching the ball go behind the guy. And he goes, "Dude, a foul ball is in play yeah. in cricket." 
And I said, I think so. Hayski said, oh, man, I got it. I should have played cricket. He said, I'd be a millionaire, the foul yeah. ball being in play. Yeah, that's, that's great. Fine. Fine leg. Yeah, absolutely. You know, big, big score. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of baseball fans from here tend to be cricket lovers as well because there is a similar-esque-ness yeah. to the two games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think clearly the big challenge for, for, the, for the guys on your side of the pond is how can you play for five days in one game and it end up as a draw? I mean, that, yeah, that, that- always just like... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they'd have a ghost runner or something. Yeah. Or they, I'm sure Rob Manfred's got some ideas to break up the extra innings. You know, maybe yeah. you can have a home run derby, or maybe have them use. Uh, maybe yeah. have them have them play cricket for an inning or something like it's that. A couple, sure a couple of umpires. Oh, you couple umpires in there. I'm sure they could screw up something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i was I, I had a load of questions about umps and we haven't even got onto that so <laughs> that's fine but but if they do come and you guys come uh i'd love to buy you a beer and, and catch up absolutely with you, with, with and you if you're ever over here if you're ever over here i will Thank you know you. if yeah. you're ever over here and we're still around we're still on air come on in come on. Yeah. oh that's very kind of you I, I i've got a book here that i need signing by somebody so um you know ne- next time next time you're over perfect i'll bring it with me absolutely guys, Thank you so much. I, I honestly, it's an absolute privilege for me to talk to you both today. I, I know, as I said at the, at the start, how popular your your show is, and so to to be able to have Blue Jays talk all to myself, and to be able to chat to you guys, and I'm, I will phone in again. I did phone in at the end of uh, last season. Um, well, to, to, now we'll flag you. We'll flag you. Yeah. So yeah. We'll make sure that you get on. Yeah. Yeah. You can stay on longer. We'll leave you. Oh, on yeah. Have to kick you off. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, we'll keep kind. you on as long. We'll we'll keep you on so long. You may not call. Back. <laughs> you may not want to call in. There again. are <laughs> nights. There are nights where if we got you on, I'm telling you, you would be telling us your life story. Steve, don't go anywhere. Don't yeah. go anywhere. Yeah, Steve, yeah. through the commercial. <laughs> yeah, I could I could tell you all about Bournemouth's promotion back to the Premier League, and uh, I, I'm sure Kevin, you you were ecstatic Kevin. about that news. Oh, yesterday. I can't wait to hear you know that. We got to get Kevin. Say Kevin, say up the cherries. Up the cherries. Come there you on! Go. Hey. <laughs> now Kevin's worried that he said something vaguely yeah. pornographic. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's all polite. It's all good. It's all good. Just good. Just Google it after we finished, and uh, you'll find out all about my local football club. Nice. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Guys, thank you so much. Have a great show tonight um, on Blue Jays Talk, and I'll be listening in over the coming days as, as normal. But uh, Thanks, Steve. For your time. Thanks. Brilliant. Thank you so much. This was a treat. Cheers for having us. We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. The Red, White and Blue Jays podcast is a production of Blue Jays Fans UK. If you've got a Blue Jays story to share, let us know. Email us at bluejaysfansuk at gmail.com and follow along on Twitter and Instagram at bluejaysfansuk. I'm your announcer, Jim Langton. Thanks for listening.